for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 621 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, it's time to wrap up 2023 with a great conversation with an excellent up-and-coming comics creator, Olivia Quartero Briggs. Olivia is an award-winning dramatic writer, fitness junkie, and girl mom, born and raised in New York City. She's also the author of Mary Shelley, Monster Hunter, and Silver City from Aftershock Comics, as well as the upcoming Fate the Winx Saga graphic novel series coming from Maverick. Jill and the Killers is her groundbreaking new series debuting with Oni Press in January, and it's described this way. Returning to school after the unsolved disappearance of her mother, teenager Jill Estrada can't wait for things to return to normal even as her friends become compulsively obsessed with Box Killers, a true crime subscription game where each month's unsolved case is custom-tailored to the life of the player. There's only one catch. Jill's game seems to be all too real, and when her clues begin to connect to a series of disappearances in her town, Jill and her friends must uncover the truth behind these mysterious crimes before one of their own becomes the next victim. We talk about how this book came to be, who the characters are, and what we can expect from Olivia in the coming months. It's a fun discussion, just a perfect way to wrap up 2023. Be sure to let your local comic shop know you want this high-octane title today. I'm sure you're going to enjoy what Olivia has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show! Oni 2024 banner contains five propulsive new monthly comic series from a wide-ranging cast of award-winning creators and fast-rising stars that fully embrace the potential of the comics medium. And this time I get a chance to talk with Olivia Quartero Briggs, who is bringing us Jill and the Killers, which starts on the last Wednesday of January. How's it going, Olivia? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to talk with you. It's always Christmas when I get to talk to a, a woman creator because I can talk to guys every day of the week. But when I get a, a woman to talk with, it's, it's a thrill. Oh, so, well, <laughs> that's great to hear. I'm thrilling by default. <laughs> oh, good. Well, uh, and interestingly enough, you're writing about largely female characters, too, which I find really interesting. And, of course, you have hit on one of my very favorite things is uh, true crime-type storytelling, which I love. I, it's always the spouse, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think you, you've set this up, so that can't be the case. So It cannot. Yes. What, there's there's no, uh, no easy find here in terms of uh, who our criminal is. Um, they are, yeah. they are well-masked. Mm-hmm. Now, it starts off with a double-sized 48-page first issue on January 31st. Why don't you talk about where the idea for Jill and the Killers number one came from? Um, well, it came from a couple different places. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's fair to say that I have been um, a macabre enthusiast since I was a kid. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, whenever, you know, whenever anyone was doing their term papers on... Um, oh gosh, I don't know, past presidents or, or what have you. I did my eighth grade term paper on serial killers. Um, so there's always been a fascination there, uh, like you said, with true crime. And then on top of that, during the pandemic, I got into uh, subscription boxes. And one of the boxes I found, um, or games, I should say, uh, was Hunt a Killer. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't heard of that one. 
Okay, so Hunt a Killer, it's like, you know, it's a murder mystery. They send you a clue each week. And I think each case is solved over the course of like six weeks or something. And so, or each month, I should say. I think they send them each month. And um, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, my husband at the time, who's now my ex-husband, but still a very good friend, we would, you know, like light candles after the kids would go to sleep and we would solve these uh, solve these clues. And um, it kind of got me thinking, you know, well, what if you got one of these games and it ended up being clues to an actual real life crime. Uh, So that was the seed of the idea uh, that started me on the journey of Jill and the Killers. And um, and additionally, I had gone on a cross-country trip. This was also during the pandemic because, you know, no one wanted to fly, but we wanted to give our kids a summer. So we drove from Los Angeles to New York. And on the way, we passed through a town on old Route 66 called Seligman, Arizona. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Seligman, it's, um, again, it was on old Route 66, but it looks like it was untouched from that time. There's still these vintage cars that are brightly painted that they park in the street and there's um, in- dusty mannequins in inside the stores and, you know, out on the, uh, on the facades of the buildings. And there's these faded James Dean portraits and, you know, paintings of Marilyn Monroe and abandoned uh, motels. And then in the midst of this, I noticed that there was a high school. That was still very much operational. And I thought, my God, there's kids that live in this fascinating, beautiful, creepy town. (laughs) So when I was looking for a place to put this story, I thought about that school in that town. And I thought, this is a great place for a murder. Mm Mm-hmm. There's always good places for murder. That's the thing. Murder happens everywhere. <laughs> uh, we just, I just got done watching a thing about the uh, – uh, what's the name of the – there was a cult that that developed, and they had this uh, – the, the, they killed one of the members because he wasn't towing the company line. And uh, I, I was just like, wow, even, even like a little cult. Uh, gathering, there's still people who want to who end up murdering, and so I was like, "Wow!" So it's it happens anywhere and everywhere, pretty much. But uh, I, I do have to say, I I was watching uh, was it date? No, I can't remember the channel, but it was one of those ones. And the thing that they do is they run the show so that it dovetails right into the next show. You don't have any chance to change the channel or anything. You go right into the next mystery. And I got to the place where I, I said, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I've got to stop all this murder and everything going on. I just got to get away from it. So I finally had to turn off the channel for a while and say, yikes. But they do that. They, they That's the thing with all this uh, true crime stuff. There are channels specifically to it, and there's a lot of people dedicated to it. So I think you've hit on a nerve right here. I think this is going to be something people are going to enjoy. Well, I really hope so. You know, I mean, obviously, I am a true crime enthusiast. What we're dealing with, of course, with Jill, this is not true crime in the sense that the readers will not be experiencing a true crime. Of course, in Jill's world, this is a true crime. But I, I, I know what you're saying. If you, if you go down the rabbit hole of true crime long enough, you go to some pretty dark places, and uh, you start locking your doors in the middle of the day. And uh, <laughs> as much as I enjoy it, I do feel like you know we. Sometimes we need a reprieve. And because of that, I have really come to become a huge fan of the horror comedy. I think if you're laughing, the scares will catch you off guard. I think that it is it is so uh, so human to crack jokes in situations of high tension. Um, it's every you know horror movie that I've seen, um, you know, a scream or a cabin in the woods. I, I feel like there's there's something really real about that, and I love it. So you know um, what what you get with Jill is you get that true crime feel. You're solving a crime along with these really really cool chicks uh, that are all having their own like interpersonal dramas going on. Um, but it's not real, right? You're one step removed, um, and it's fun and it's funny. So, um, so I hope that you're right. I hope I have, you know, um, like stepped in a little, um, popular landmine here, um, but with some flavor and some flair that can also appear, appeal to some younger audiences as well. I, I don't know if you ever read Keith Giffen's stuff. He passed recently, but he used to be able to do this tremendous shift of mood. This, uh, he wrote a justice league one time and they were, 
they were facing these terrible, terrible disasters going on. And all of a sudden, they got shrunk down. They had to go inside this robot of a, of a, of a person of color. And they had to run this robot from inside, and they were trying to figure out things. And there they were. The arms and the legs were flailing all over the place. And somebody was walking by and says, you know, truck on, brother. He goes, and I had this. I had to I had to catch my breath after that. It took me about five minutes to stop laughing. In the middle of this deadly serious story is this this hilarious bit of humor to change the mood, you know, to swing you from one side to the other. So I, I agree with that 100%. I love somebody who can do that. I think that that is, you know, that, that, that is a sign when you've got the audience in the palm of your hand is when you can make those kinds of swings happen. So I think that's wonderful. Well, thank you. Yeah, I hope I hope I pulled it off. You guys can all let me know. <laughs> well, I got the chance to read a, a, a preliminary copy. It doesn't have the coloring in, but it does have the lettering and stuff. So I got a chance to read this stuff. So which which leads me to a couple of questions. Oh, please is is Jill based on somebody you know, or perhaps on you? Who is she based on? Jill isn't based on anyone specific, um, but uh, I get you, you'll hear this from a lot of writers. I'm not the only one, but uh, a lot of my central characters, they are parts of me. Um, so Jill, Jill is a side of me for sure. I think that uh, in some ways she might be an idealized uh, version of kind of who I wish I was as a teen. Um, uh, that she was kind of hiding inside of me <laughs> in some ways, maybe, but yeah, there was, um, there was a side to me growing up that was definitely like, you know, the class clown. And whenever there was drama going in, uh, like on in my life with my family, I overcompensated with humor and I made jokes and so nothing stuck, right. Nothing was too serious. And that, um, I gave that to Jill, and, you know, there, Jill also experienced a lot of loneliness and isolation. And in her friend group, um, she's kind of lost her best friend to this other chick that's uh, rolled up into the group while she's been away. Um, Jill's mother went missing and her father was kind of keeping her under lock and key uh, for the past year. So when she goes back to school, of course, things have changed. And um, I, I had that a lot growing up where I would end up in these friend groups and I would feel like someone was my best friend, but of course they had another best friend. Um, so that's another thing that I, I gave to Jill, that feeling of like, every time you think you've gotten really close to somebody, nope, they're closer to somebody else, or at least that's, that's the appearance of things, uh, whether or not that's true. Um, so Jill got a lot from me. Um, but she's also very much her own character and her own person. And she's really, really ballsy and adventurous and brave. Um, and, um, you know, even though she makes a lot of mistakes and she's really emotionally ripped up and she does not always deal with it the right way. Um, I, I, I love her ballsiness and her bravery. And I wish that I had a friend like that when I was 17. Well, it's described in, in a release that I saw it's, it's Jill and the killers is described as a razor sharp, teenage thriller where teenage Jill Estrada finds herself caught in a true crime subscription mystery box that's anything but a fantasy. I like that. That's kind of an interesting thing. Now, how old exactly is Jill? These are all high school seniors, um, and this is around Thanksgiving. So, you know, they're all um, 17, 18. Okay, so they're 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 pretty close to to hitting the real world eventually here. So that's pretty cool about that. Now, who are the? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about Jill. Who are the characters that uh, is her supporting cast? Is are they the killers? Because it's called Jill and the Killers. Is that what? <laughs> is that the name of the group? Uh, no, it's I know it sounds like um, they're a musical act. Um, yeah. I kind of liked that though that it sounded like a band name. Um, mm -hmm. No, her friends are not the quote unquote killers. Um, there, there is a larger mystery afoot. So what readers will find is that we have we have an initial arc for these characters, and um, you know, a first crime that uh, that you know the clues of which they are following. But what that leads to is a much greater mystery that hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, I get to keep telling Jill stories for a long time, um, will lead to 
uh, solving crimes done by multiple serial killers. So that's where the name comes from. Um, my, you know, my hope is that readers love this so much that I get to write more. And in which case there will definitely be more than one killer that Jill has to track down. Okay. So this is the first killer. Yes. Okay. All right. Because I, I when you say Jill and the killers and it's not her friends, then that means there's more than <laughs> one killer. And that means I got to keep my eyes out for a group of killers. So that's, uh, you know, I've, I've, like I said, I've watched enough crime, um, true crime particularly, to know that there is, you got to pay attention to these details because uh, they'll have something to do. Now, why don't you talk about her? who her supporting cast is? She's got like about four friends of hers. Yeah. With their, who are those people? So the most important person to her and her friend group is Ginger. Uh, she and Ginger have known each other since they were in kindergarten. Um, and they have always been best friends. And just before Jill's mom went missing, maybe a few months before, their friendship had kind of taken a turn into the romantic, um, which was huge for Jill. Um, Jill's very much in love with Ginger. And they were really, really close. And then when um, when Jill's mom went missing, she kind of fell off the map a little bit. She was dealing with a lot and dealing with her own grief. And, you know, Ginger, although she understood, felt, felt pretty abandoned. Um, so Ginger and Jill are seriously at odds uh, in the beginning of this book. And you get to see a lot of their relationship unfold. Um, Ginger is... A little bit of a hypochondriac. She's uh, she's protective of herself, but that's um, is, she was in an uh, she got very sick and she ended up um, losing part of her leg, so she has a prosthesis and um, she's just very careful with herself um, at the beginning of the story. And then there is Clyde, who uh, is an essential part of the story. Um, Clyde is the new kid in town, and she is so cool. She drives a black Bentley. I mean, this, and she's mysterious and she's witchy and she's goth and everything that comes out of her mouth is cool. And she's just, she's taken Jill's friend group by storm while Jill was away. And so Jill is very, very competitive with Clyde. Um, but what's going on with Clyde actually behind the scenes that she and Jill are both dealing with a tremendous amount of grief in very, very different ways. And they have a lot to learn from each other. So even though Jill is kind of professionally hating on Clyde in uh, the early books um, and this first arc, they really do have a lot to learn from each other. And they do. Um, so they have a really fun arc, um, you know, frenemies uh, turned allies. And, uh, and then there's Cher, and Cher is kind of, um, without putting her down in any way, she's kind of like the airy fairy of the group. She's the heart. Um, she's the lover. And she's the one who has a boyfriend, uh, who is O'Brien, who is also a member of this group. Um, he's like, he's, he's a hardworking Southern country kid um, who aspires to be a Navy SEAL. It's always been his dream. Um, he's, uh, he's a really sweet kid who Jill pretty much makes fun of relentlessly, um, you know, being the, the one straight boy who tools around in their friend group. Um, and, and yeah, so that's, that's the core of the group. Um, and I don't know if anyone has noticed, um, but, uh, this is fair. When I was growing up, they had a lot of movies that I loved, loved, loved that involved boy groups going on adventures or solving crimes. It, there was, you know, stand by me and Goonies and monster squad. And I loved these movies, but then when I would fantasize about them later, I had to find roles for myself. I didn't want to be the token girl because that part wasn't me. Like I, the way that I grew up, I was not cool. Like if there was going to be one girl in the boy group, it was not going to be me. So I, I was constantly having to like recast myself and find places to put myself. And I didn't want my readers to have to do that. So I wanted to have a girl group who was, you know, kind of kicking ass and taking names the same way that these boys did in the movies that I loved growing up. And to make that really obvious, I gave them all names that were that were the uh, pairings, right? Male-female pairings, and they got the female name and the male pairings, all of which 
the male name comes first. So you have Jack and Jill, right? That's where Jill comes from. You have Sonny right. and Cher. There's Cher. You have Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. There's Ginger. And Jill's mom, the woman who went missing, her name is Juliet, Romeo and Juliet. The only one that differs in this pattern, of course, is Clyde, who has, you know, that of Bonnie and Clyde, she gets the male name. And there's a reason for that because she very much flips the script in the friend group. So those are the characters that we're dealing with. And um, I, at some point, I want to come up with like an online quiz for people to take. Like, are you a Jill? <laughs> are you a Ginger? Are you a Clyde? So, mm-hmm. wow, so that's good stuff. Now, of course, I did mention the the, the normal suspect. Now, the, the 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 way this starts out, Jill is not sure if, uh, although she seems to think that the mother has passed, but the father doesn't agree with that assessment. Yeah, apparently. Which, of course, immediately makes me suspect him because he's the spouse and, you know, he, he's not going along with the program. So talk about the father some and, and his relationship to Jill as well as to the to the mom. Um, well, uh, Lewis, he's um, he's oh gosh. Now you like suspect him. That's really interesting. I, I wasn't you've like thrown me for a loop there. Um, he's doing everything he can to be a good single dad while going through a tremendous amount of grief that he has kind of pushed aside because he has convinced himself that there's no way that his wife is dead. Um, He knows as does her department um, that she was working on something pretty big uh, before she went missing. And, Luis has become convinced that it was someone associated with that case came after her um, because her patrol car was found in the bottom of Crater Lake, but there was no body. So, uh, you know, she's missing. Uh, I think a lot of people presume that she's probably dead, but until a body shows up, Luis is not giving up hope. And he's got a whole crime board, uh, a beautiful mind crime board in his dining room. Uh, where he has been trying to, you know, track her down and he's putting up clues and he's doing everything he can uh, to find her, which is why he gets so disheartened every time Jill just says she's dead. And for Jill, the reason why is she's having a really hard time with her father's perseverance. The idea that her mother is still out there and would not find her way back to her is almost intolerable. Also, the idea that she would keep hope alive for months and months and months and then find out that her mother is dead, is it's it's overwhelming. Her mother was her best friend. So that's the discrepancy between the two of them. Jill wants this, all, this nightmare to be over. She wants her life to go back to normal. She wants to go back to school. She wants to be a normal kid. She wants to salvage some part of who she used to be before her mother went missing. And to her, that means, okay, mom is dead. I'm moving on. Uh, her father does not agree, and it causes a lot of tension between them. But there is so much love between these two characters um, that becomes evident in the story. And again, if I get another arc, uh, please, please, please buy this book, read this book, love this book, because I want another arc uh, <laughs> where uh, Louis gets drawn in to the work that Jill is doing, and they do become allies. Um, so that's um, that's a little a little taste of the arc between those two. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's also, he also plays the role of like the pain in the ass dad who's overprotective. He lost his wife. He doesn't want to lose his kid too. And so, you know, as much as he's trying to protect Jill, he gets in the way of what she's trying to accomplish. So we can rule him out as a person of interest in what's going on? Um, well, no. You can't rule anybody <laughs> out, um, but that's what's going on between them. I mean, yeah, who knows? Who knows what he's up to? That's that's the face of things, though. Okay, because you know, the way you described is that he's going to get involved later on and stuff like that. It, it's almost like having Jessica Fletcher be the murderer, you know. It's, I, I, I always loved it when they would say, wait a minute, wherever she goes, people are dying. And I, I thought that was a wonderful <laughs> A thing that they did with her, and I, I, I always get a kick. And that's why when things like this goes on, I'm always kind of, I'm, I'm sitting trying to line my ducks up in a row and kind of try to figure out what's happening with stuff. So that's great. Now we should, and and stop me if if I don't want to spoil too much, but the box, there's yes. a box that shows up. They they decide to get involved in this box mystery thing, and as soon as she puts the order, there's a box on on the. Uh, on the front porch expedited and, shipping yeah yeah she's like wow <laughs> she's like, holy crap factory that was fast she goes and 
they begin to explore what's in the box, and that's what kind of gets things going. And more than that, I don't want to spoil because there's a big surprise having to do with the box later down the, the first issue. But uh, talk about the box. Um, what can you tell people about the box uh, that they should know? So the box contains um, it, the files and evidence, almost all of it that was collected at the time, to two missing persons in Seligman. Um and that's what's particularly crazy. I mean, apparently, you know, this this box company that they order the box from, apparently the cases are tailored to the people that order them. So, you know, when they find out that this case is like, it's in Seligman, it's like, wow, this, you know, this company really has some crazy attention to detail, right? Um, but what's in the box, you know, you have um, everything that you would expect to find um, in, in uh you know, say you went into some sort of, you know, old case evidence locker uh, in, in a police station and, and grabbed a box from a case that had been, you know, gone cold and closed. You have, um, you know, the shreds of the missing boys clothing that were found. You have the contents of their pockets. You have photographs of them. You have written interviews uh, by the family members. Um, there would be, you know, some notes police notes on suspects, uh, last known whereabouts, all of that. So, you know, all for those of you who are into true crime, uh, especially these, you know, great investigative uh, podcasts that I love so much. Um, it's all of that stuff. It's, um, it's, it's pretty official, official stuff. And the first clue that they find um, where these two missing boys overlap, two missing boys that went missing exactly five years apart. Um, the first clue leads them to their local junkyard uh, where one of them was employed and one was last seen. And so that's where they have their, their first adventure, uh, which, which doesn't go so well. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's what's in this, what's in this box. It's like, Pretty official-looking police stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, not to spoil anything, but there is one other thing, I think, in the box that we won't talk about right away because that's something that's uh, a, a big surprise of sorts. Oh, that's not yeah. in the box. They find that in the junkyard. I, th I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> I forgot that part. That's right. That, that That's in the junkyard. They go to a junkyard and they try to figure some stuff out based on the clues and stuff like that. Which yes. Is Chris and uh, they find something. Why <laughs> now? I don't want to say, because that's a big important thing that uh, develops this thing. Go, um, things move along. So it, it's it's a really fascinating book, and it's a four issue miniseries. Uh, yes, if you the, originally the first double issue was two two single issues, so they've combined that into one now. So yeah, there's going to be four four issues officially now. Okay, so it'll be good. So it's going to come out monthly, and. Uh, that's good. How, how did you get to be a part? I've got to ask about this Oni Press 2024 banner. Every month they're starting a new, as they call it, propulsive. I love that word, propulsive new monthly comic series. How did you get to be a part of uh, of the Oni 2024 banner group? I I guess I don't really know. I mean, the way, I've been working on this book with Oni for a while now, actually. It's been a few years, um, you know, from conception to green light to uh, the finished product. And um, I, I, I don't know how they were I honestly don't know how they were planning to release and I didn't even know the release date. I just, I got in touch with them because I'm also, I'm working on um, another, a, a graphic novel series uh, with Mad Cave and they had asked me to come down to New York Comic Con, which was great because that's, I'm from New York City originally and my dad still lives walking distance from the Javits Center. So I was like, yeah, of course I'll go down there. And so I let the folks at Oni know that I was going to be at New York Comic Con and I said, hey, want to do something? And they were like, oh, Yeah. Sure. And then the next thing I knew, they had, you know, Jill and the Killers on that like beautiful graphic that they made with the, you know, the five books that are part of the 2024, the class of 2024, they were calling it. And they said, okay, and you know, we're going to throw you on a panel and we're going to announce this. And oh, by the way, your book is coming out at the end of January. And I was like, oh my God. So it was, um, it was one of those things where, you know, we were just kind of, you know, calmly behind the scenes, just 
putting this book together. And then all of a sudden, Oni was like, all right, you're going. So um, <laughs> I, I have no idea how I, aside from me just waving my arms around and saying, hey, guys, I'm going to be at New York Comic Con, like do something with me. Um, beyond that, I, I don't know how I was lucky enough to join that lineup. But it was great to be on that stage in New York with all of these incredible creators and artists and hearing their stories and seeing the pages uh, from their books. And, you know, I think... Anyone who's anyone uh, in the world of comics knows how prestigious the Oni label is. Um, so this is this is a big deal for me. You know, the two books that I've had published before were um, with Aftershock, who's known for great work, um, really really great books, and um, this has been um, it's been an incredible adventure um, with the folks over there, and I'm I'm really enamored with them in the way that you know. They've been rolling everything out and I'm uh, obviously I'm a big talker. And I said, listen, I love to promote my book. So put me out there. And they have been, and they've been incredibly, incredibly supportive of Jill and me and this series. And I'm so excited that I get to share this book with everyone so soon. Very cool. Now the, the group that you're a part of has some illustrious names like Colin Bunn, who is a well-known horror writer? I've yes, interviewed he him. He's just some. He's amazingly uh, uh, creative when it comes to seeing. Zach Thompson, uh, Brian Level, uh, uh, all kinds of names that are involved. And it's a class of five, so it's going to be five months with uh, a new beginning for that stuff. Sometimes it's good to be lucky. Um, as far as timing goes. And maybe you just hit them at the right time and they're saying, hey, we can make her a part of that group. So, you know, hey, you know, if it works, it works. That, that's all the better is all I got to say. So congratulations on being part of this class. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, truly honored. And um, I'm, it's also great too because all the books are so different. So I really feel like Jill stands out in the pack as well. Um, and I think they, they, they put it together really well for that reason. Everything is like quite different and, and exciting. So yeah, no, thank you. Um, I'm, I, like I said, I'm totally honored. Well, that's great because it, it's I, I love true crime, so I'm going to be buying this and making sure I know what's going on. Uh, I, I there's a kick, uh, there's a paragraph that I got a kick out of uh, that quotes you, and it says, "Joan the Killers is both a love letter to and a very direct female subversion of the great dude-driven coming-of-age stories I loved as a kid." And of course, you talked a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and finally, it is a grand the grand debut of my goofy sense of humor on the page. I hope I hope I make you laugh, but if not, you've got the stunning artwork uh, artwork to admire instead. So uh, it's the answer to nostalgia and love we had and still have towards the 80s and 90s films of our childhood, said the artist. So there's all kinds of good reasons to pick this book up. So the thing is, let your uh, shop know that you want to get this because, uh, as Jill's already said, she's got lots more Jill stories. She wants to, or, or Olivia's already said she wants to do more Jill uh, stories in the future. So be sure to let your, uh, let your store know that you want to get this. I'm not sure that the, the order numbers are available yet, but if you tell them what I always do is I print a page out from the internet and then I take it to them and say, look, look for the numbers for this. Cause I want this one. So I'm going to, I'll do that with this one and take it to my shop to make sure that we get that. You mentioned you had done two books before and I'm not familiar with those. Could you tell us more about that? Oh, of course. Um, uh, my first uh, comic book series was a co-write with Adam Glass, and that's called Mary Shelley Monster Hunter. Uh, that came out a few years back with Aftershock. And then I did another book with Aftershock, my first solo series called Silver City. Um, and Roberta and Granada did my covers uh, for that series, and she's doing the interiors for Jill, obviously. Um, and uh, well, I also had two more books with Aftershock, one of which was announced and was supposed to come out last year, Bram Stoker, Monster Hunter. Um, but of course, you know, uh, Aftershock ran into some some issues that they're that they're working out and we all wish them the best while they, you know, uh, get get themselves together and get back to publishing. Um, but hopefully readers will get to will get to see Bram someday. <laughs> it's a really okay. beautiful book. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so those are, those are my previous credits and I'm currently writing, this is out there. I mean, we announced in your Comic-Con, there's going to be official announcement coming at some point. Um, but I'm writing the, uh, the Fate Wink series, the graphic novel series with, uh, Maverick. 
And the first of those will be coming out, uh, I think, July of 2024. So that's a continuation of the Netflix series, the Netflix Fate Wing series. For those of you who might have been fans and were sad that your show got canceled, uh, we're picking up the story for you in graphic novel format. And then I also have unannounced projects um, in the works in various stages uh, with Humanoids and Mad Cave. Wow. So you're getting around. That's great. I am doing my best, man. I, uh, I love this business. You know, I also work in film and television. Um, and it's just, it's such a blessing to be able to tell your own stories, uh, to create your own intellectual property on this level. It's, um, it's, it's film and TV is wonderful. Comic books is liberating to a degree that I, I can't quite express in words. I love it. And I love the, I love the people who work in this business and I love the fans. I love the fans. They are, they're smart, they're voracious, they're vocal and they read. I just like, I love them so much. And I feel like I've been so lucky uh, to stumble upon this side of the business. I never thought I would write comic books growing up and now I can't imagine my life without them. Oh, wow. So how did you get into comic books? Have you always been a fan or is this something? Because I noticed a lot of TV and movie people tend to get into comics as well. How did you get into it? Um, so, you know, growing up, um, interestingly, I, I I read Archie comics. Those were when I looked at the covers of all the comic books in the stands, my local newsstand. That was what looked like it was for me. And I loved them. And I had so many of them. Oh, my God. My father gave them all away. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh. I can't believe it. Um, but I ordered some off eBay to replace them. So, um, but, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you don't know how the cookie is made, it's hard to imagine yourself being a part of it. And I had no idea how comics were made. I think I assumed that if you were going to make a comic, you needed to both write and illustrate. And I have two left hands, as it were. Um, so that was never going to happen. <laughs> Um, but then, um, I've always been a writer. I ended up working, um, in television. The first show that I worked on was a show called Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, which was a spinoff of Criminal Minds. Ooh, I love that show. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I was the writer's assistant on that show. Um, and my friend Adam Glass, who is also a big comic writer, um, helped me get the job on that. And I then went on to write for a show called The Arrangement, which was on, um, E! Entertainment. We had two glorious seasons. And when that was canceled, I kind of freaked out. You know, I had kids and I needed to work and I called Adam and I said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you got to help me get something. And he said, well, I don't have anything in TV right now, but listen, there's this comic book that I've really been wanting to write, but I need a female voice. And that's Mary Shelley, Monster Hunter. And he said, would you want to do this with me? And he pitched me the basic idea. Um, and I was like, hell yes, this is amazing. And so he, it was amazing, really. It was an incredible experience to be mentored by someone who had written like, what, hundreds of comics at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he taught me, he taught me everything about formatting and page turns and all of this um, while creating the series with him that I, I loved. And I'm also like, I'm a big Shakespeare nerd. So it's not, obviously it's not the same. This is like, you know, Georgian English versus Elizabethan, but um, it was really (laughs) fun to be able to write uh, in that dialect as well. And Mary Shelley's just uh, such a force. So that Mm -hmm. was how I found my way into it. And once I did one book, I said, well, I'm not letting this go. And so I immediately (laughs) pitched Aftershock another book. And then I thought to myself, well, I can't just, you know, stay with one publishing house. I have too many stories to tell. (laughs) So then I asked Adam again and I said, listen, I want to know, I want to meet other people. And he introduced me to Oni. And then from there, I, I, um, I hit the floor last year at New York Comic Con and I went from publisher table to publisher table and I introduced myself and a lot of people looked at me like I was crazy until I said I wrote for TV. Then they warmed up a little bit and they were like, okay, you're, yeah, you've, you've, and I also, I was carrying around copies of Silver City with me too, to like show that I had done stuff. Um, but I just walked up and I introduced myself and I said, I want, I have a million stories to tell and uh, I want to know if you want to tell stories with me. And, uh, and surprisingly people took me up on it, namely, um, uh, the amazing Chaz over at Mad Cave. Um, and so that's how I started working with them. And since then the opportunities have been coming to me, which has been really, really amazing. Um, so yeah, I hustled, I introduced myself, I waved my arms around, I said, look at me. And I think, you know, to what you were saying when we started this, you know, there, 
um, there are a lot of women working in comic books, but there's not enough. And um, publishers are hip to it. And they want more female creators. And I also um, happen to be uh, Latina. I'm mixed. Um, and that's a fun perspective to get to play with, too. Um, in fact, three of the three of my main characters in Jill are Latina. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's it's I've been incredibly um, supported in those areas where I think, you know, women really felt before like there were a lot of um, a lot of blocks uh, to their progress in this industry. I think a lot of doors have opened. Uh, they've really, really recognized uh, where they were anemic in terms of content and creators. And now um, I I feel right now, I think I'm only working with uh, female editors um, with the exception of maybe one or two, which is amazing. Um, and we're, so yeah, we're, <laughs> I, we're not taking over yet. Um, but it's, it's a good time. It's a good time for female comic book creators. And also we're, we're, you know, knocking, knocking down doors together. So, um, again, it's been an incredible experience. I love being here, uh, being at New York comic-con this last time was fantastic. I, we didn't have any, um, actual issues of anything to sign. So I was signing book plates and I had like a line for book plates. <laughs> I love it. It was so cute. Um, cool. I love it. Yeah, it was very cool. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm very enamored um, with this, with this universe. And I just, you know, even though I do come from TV, I really do um, want the larger comic book community to know that I never write anything so that it can be a TV show or a movie. I I very much believe that if you're going to write for a medium, you better write the best damn thing for that medium possible. And if it ends up somewhere down the line becoming a TV show or a movie, great. But that's not the point. The point is to write a really, really good book. And the point is to write that book for comic book people. Um, and that mm -hmm. is very, very near and dear to me. I, I've heard a lot of like moaning and groaning about like, oh, you Hollywood people coming in and screwing everything up. Um, it's it's definitely not my MO. <laughs> well, I have, I, I've got to say something because there's a thing or two that come to mind as you were talking about this. I tend to think that it's good to have a visual arts background when it comes to comics. Some of the, some of the people I've seen who don't have that struggle with visuals for things but if you're like a tv person you're used to thinking in terms of how's this going to look on the screen kind of stuff and i think that really helps with comics the other thing i wanted to be sure i mention <laughs> whenever there's a male lead in a comic story i have a very clear because i have decades of, of reading comics behind me i have a very clear idea where the stories are going to go when there's a woman in the lead, I am uncertain. <laughs> so I like to see women lead characters because that throws me right off. And I'm sitting there going, what's going to happen? I don't know. And I kind of like not knowing what's going to happen, especially when it comes to the female leads. So I, I applaud that. Although I, I have so much fun reading female lead stories. So I, I'm anxious to see how this all works because I have no idea what Jill's going to do. And I think that's, that's half the fun for me. Oh, well, wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I could capitalize on the, on, on the mystery that is woman for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It really is true because, you know, I, I have read so many and, and, and seen course TV shows, the same thing. Every time it's a guy, there's a certain road that they tend to follow. If they're a bad guy, they tend to go a certain way. If they're a good guy, or if they're the second banana, they all follow certain things. So I, I've sat there and I go, oh, okay, now they're going to, oh yeah, there they go, okay, I've seen that. But with a woman, I don't know. It was like when Captain Janeway came on Voyager, I was like, now what? What are they going to do? I can't figure it out. So I see, I love that stuff. I love not knowing. I hate, There's nothing worse to me than to pick up a book and I can tell you what's going to be on the last panel of the issue. That oh, drives me crazy. But when it comes to women, I can't have any idea whatsoever. I have no idea. So I, I love that. I think that that is just a, a great, I think that's a good thing for comics to have uh, not only female ca uh, creators, but also female characters in, in prominent roles. So I'm all for it. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I also, though, when I want you, I want to know uh, when you get to read, you know, the, this full arc, if there's anything that you predicted 
I want to know. So you got to tell me if if you if you got ahead of me, okay? Will you? I will because okay. I like I said I, I I love nothing better than to uh, fig- try to figure out what's going to happen. I have a group okay. of I have a group of friends of mine who are Star Trek fans, and we for a while sat down and wrote fan film or, or like episodes of Star Trek, and that was some of the most fun I had. We, and we sat there and we said, "We're not going to do what people expect. We're going to go where other where people don't expect us to go," and I loved that. I thought that was so great. I. I also I, I told this story now a couple times. Uh, I don't, uh, you, I'm sure you know who Scott Snyder is. Uh, Batman. He's done many other uh, comics and stuff like that. I interviewed him for this podcast back when I was just getting going, and I did all my research and I did some stuff. And he started to tell me about how he was all he couldn't understand why the numbers were so high when he was starting Batman. Now, this is New 52, so it's a while back. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, well, the numbers are so high because we're dying to read the stories you're going to tell us and stuff. And so I was I, I tend to be positive about these things. I, tend, I never want to ambush anybody. So I, when I got done interviewing, he said, look, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to give you my private email. And when I get done, when you read a new issue that I've written, I want you to write me, especially if it's a Batman. I want you to tell me what you thought of that issue. And so I did that, and it, he rarely responded, which is fine with me. I was my, my job, I'm not trying to interfere with his writing process, do the, the writing, but I saw him a couple years later in Baltimore, and he looked up and he saw him, and he said, there you are. I said, you know, I'm, I'm having really trouble coming up with, with adjectives that, that besides wonderful and terrific and fantastic with your writing and stuff, so I'm not sure what to do. He said, you know, he says, I'm not having any trouble reading your emails, he goes. And so I kind of thought, you know, because creators tend to be solitary people and it's nice to get some kind of feedback every once in a while. And so I, I, I always love when somebody asks for feedback, I'd be sure to give it because I think that uh, uh, you, you get enough negative and, and other stuff in solitary time that somebody who will actually tell you what they think of it, I think, is always a, a big help to comics creators. Oh yes, and uh, it is. It, it can be solitary, and sometimes it's it's difficult to work in a vacuum. It's nice to have you know a sounding board outside of your editor and your your team. Um, so yes, please do. I think you you have my email address, Wayne. So if you, I would love to know what you think generally, but uh, specifically since you know you are so into true crime, if you if you get it too far ahead of my investigation, you better let me know so I know for the next arc won't make that mistake again. I'll make it Wayne proof. <laughs> Okay. Well, already the first issue, which I've, I've I've read the preliminary copy of, I really like it. It's a big surprise at the end of the first issue, which I would never in a million years spoil. But there's all kinds of wonderful things going on, and of course, I'm like I said, I'm trying to figure out, you know, put the, the where, where's the father going all this, and where where's this? So I'm I'm trying to figure out who's who and and to where the things are going. So I love nothing better than that. That's a lot of fun. The bad news is it doesn't resolve in an hour. I have to spend some time on this. <laughs> Most of these shows, it's an hour and it's over. And so now I've got to be sure I, I, I devote the, the good time and stuff. But the first issue really grabbed me. I do have to say, I really enjoyed, I thought the art was good. What I got to see, of course, it didn't color. It was black and white. But right. the, I thought the dialogue was, was fun. I thought the characterizations were strong. Uh, there's a big surprise towards the end, which I'm not, uh, like I said, I'm just, I, I hate giving out, spo- even though I work for major spoilers, I do not want to spoil anybody's. <laughs> I, I want to tease you and to tell people, buy this book because I enjoyed it and I think you will too. And that's kind of what I, why I do these things. So it, it's a great first issue. I, I'm dying to see the others. I just, it's going to be great fun to get. I'm going to make sure my store orders it because I, I, I want to see this thing. I just, what Jill is up to next, I have no idea what she's going to do. And that's a lot of fun for a reader like me. So I think you're doing wonderful stuff. Um, are you on social media in case somebody wants to follow you? I am. I'm I'm at Olivia C. Briggs on both Twitter and Instagram, and those are the best places to follow me. Okay. No Facebook? I am on Facebook. Um, I'm just not as active on Facebook. Um, so uh Instagram really is the best for me. That's what I'm um I'm I'm best at posting on. Um, of course you're gonna see like a lot of pictures of my kids, um, but they're cute. And you'll also see updates about, you know, various comic books and, you know, where I might be in terms of, uh, you know, signings and um, various comic cons and all of that. 
That was what I was going to ask you. Are you you went to New York, obviously, and New York is, by the way, is my very favorite Comic Con of all time. Oh, me too. Uh, I, I love it because you go to San Diego. San Diego, it takes over the whole downtown, and not everybody's happy with that. You go to New York, and you go two blocks away from the Javits Center. They don't even know the convention's going on. So I, the, <laughs> yeah. that contrast always gets me. And I, 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 I love New York because there's so many different things to find. If you want glasses with superheroes on the side of them, you can find them there at the New York Comic Con. There's just Amazing and Artist Alley is amazing. It's yeah, and do you know what they're doing? They're doing the same for um, writers and creators now. Oh, so yeah, this year was the first year I just found out about it. But yeah, they're doing like a creators corner or something. I forget what they what they're calling it, but I love that because um, you know, of course, it's comics, it's visuals, so the artists are vital, but you know, the creators are too. So it's um. It's really great to see that they uh, they're they're finding a spot for us. So maybe I'll be part of that next year. But um, in the interim, I'm pretty sure at this point that I'm going to be at Emerald City, um, and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be at San Diego this year as well. Ooh, those are two great cons, I have to say. If I can suggest one that, that uh, people don't often think of, Dragon Con in Atlanta is a great con to go to. I've never heard anything about it. It is a party 24 hours a day. It's in like five, four or five buildings in Atlanta. And the comic thing is like one floor out of about six or seven floors in one building. And it is an amazing convention. I had a great time there. It was lots of fun. And, uh, I, I, you know, you get to bump into people that you really admire and stuff like that. And I, uh, as a, a podcast guy, I'm always looking for people to talk with. And that uh, Dragon Con got me at several people that I really uh, enjoyed talking with. So if I, I'll just make that suggestion. Of course, uh, uh, I did for a while get a chance to go around and several cons. And those are the ones I like the best. But uh, Oh, I'll check it out for sure. I would. It, it's give a chance to look at it. It's fun. It's a great con. Will do. And of course, this book again is Jill and the Killers. Number one, it's coming out January 31st. And the thing to do is let your shop know you want it right away because uh, the thing that's happening is that I'm not sure that the, there's Lunar puts a number out and Diamond puts a number out. And I'm, I haven't seen those numbers for this yet. I haven't seen anybody release. But uh, we want to make sure, do what I do is I go to the website and think the only press website has stuff on it, print out a page from there, take it to your shop and say, I want this. And they'll usually they'll, they'll attach it to your order form and they will make sure they get that number because they want to sell you the book so they can make money too. So that's a good thing. So again, it's Jill and the Killers. Number one starts up in January. And Olivia, it's been great fun talking with you. We'll have to do this again sometime when you've got other things coming down the pike because this is a lot of fun. And I love talking with female creators every chance to get it. I, I, I just crave being able to do that. So thanks so much. Oh, no, thank you. This was great. And yes, uh, there is stuff coming down the pipeline uh, pretty quickly. So I'll, I'll hit you up. That'll be great. Thanks so much. Thank you. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed. But as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News. Interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. May your next year be even better than this year. So until next time, keep reading your comics. 